sorry, John 19, and I'm going to start in verse 25. Just a couple of verses this morning. It says, so John 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. I don't pray there. Lord, before we begin, I just want to, again, ask for your help this morning. I just ask that you would guide my thoughts, um, guide my words as I'm speaking. And Lord, I just ask that you would um, prepare each person here this morning that's listening, that they would receive what you have for them, Lord, um, regardless of what I say this morning. So again, we just ask for your help and your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if I've ever really noticed before that Mother's Day actually follows Easter really closely. <laughs> um, it certainly seems that way now that Easter just ended and here we are at Mother's Day. And it's still winter. <laughs> but... Um, it just seems this is a, a logical place to get a, a Mother's Day messages from our Easter message as well. And I just see an example from both sides sitting here in this, in this little bit of a story, this little piece of the story of Jesus on the cross. And we see this little tidbit and... I don't know if you can imagine they I I've tried to imagine I don't know how painful it is to be nailed to a cross I've heard many stories of of the agony of just being able to get a breath while you're hanging from nails in your body and just try to get your head around the circumstance where like just Jesus suffering, the level of suffering, and then you look at the conversations that take place. It's like Jesus is having a conversation with his mother and one of his best friends. As if this is no big deal, but I need to deal with something here. And obviously it's a big deal. So I'm just going to look at this from just a couple of perspectives. Is one from Mary looking at Jesus, and then again from Jesus looking back to Mary. And first, if you're a mother, I can't imagine what it would be like to go to your son's execution, <laughs> right? And some of the other gospels describe Mary and this group of women that are with her as being from like a far off, like they're watching from a distance. But at this moment, she's close enough to have a conversation, right? So she's within the just span of the size of this room and probably near the front pew because I can't imagine Jesus is speaking you know, particularly loud from the cross at this point. So at some point along the way, 
Like Mary is like right there in front of the cross, watching her son being crucified. That's got to be a, a hard thing for a mother to come and see. And yet, wouldn't you want to also have been there? <laughs> right? If you had the opportunity as a mother, wouldn't you want to have been with your son at those last moments of his life? And we can, we can relate to that as family members are in the hospital um, and suffering through whatever they're suffering through and in their last moments of their life. We often want to be there. I remember my mom had cancer and she was quite sick with the cancer for a number of years and um, the last couple times that we went there she was not well at all and the last, I, I might mix up the specific trips, but I, I assume it was the last visit that we had. Um, we went and she was so weak that she didn't want us staying in her house because my mom was always like the host and she always felt like she had to take care of us regardless of how capable we were of doing the things. Like we're trying to come there to help and yet she's still doing things trying to take care of us and it's just her nature. Um, so we stayed with some friends of theirs and then would just come and visit during the day on and off um, as she had the energy to, to put up with us. And Darren was like a year old at the time, so um, yeah, having a, a little baby around wasn't particularly restful for her. But I remember, I just, it's very clear, we went and we had this visit, we were there about a week, we drove home and this is from Calgary area, Lethbridge. Um, it's a two-day drive, 20, 20 hours of driving. We had just pulled in late at night, and our phone rang, and my dad says, your mom's in the hospital, and I don't think she's going to make it this time. So we literally got in the vehicle and started driving <laughs> west again. And we didn't even, like, we stopped for the night, we had to, because we're exhausted already, but um, we stopped for the night and drove the rest of the way through, and I went directly to the hospital to see, I wanted to see my mom before she died. And I didn't, I'm, I wasn't a, familiar with the process, but you go to the front desk and you ask for, for her by name, and then they go and get a nurse, right? Because they're not gonna tell you that she's already dead. We gotta find somebody else, because I don't wanna deal with this. <laughs> So the nurse comes out and tells us that she already passed away. So I missed it. But I felt like, in the end, I was like, well, I think God just didn't want me to have to see her at that point, right? Um, but that's often the desire for us, is to, to share those last minutes of our loved one's lives. Um, and I'm, I don't regret the, the way that we did that. I'm very glad that we got that chance to visit um, in that last week, that final week where she was at home um, was, a, was a blessing to be there with her. So, so I just understand, I can relate to Mary wanting to be there at Jesus' last moments. But I can also relate to, you know, having seen him close up, that need to step back and kind of be at a distance for that moment. So we just see that, that relationship and that ongoing relationship that Mary had with Jesus. 
And the important thing here is Mary didn't come by herself. And we see that in verse 25. It says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. So she's got family and friends. They're supporting her, helping her to deal with this circumstance. And we need that, right? We need our family. At these difficult times in life, we need family around us to support us. We need our friends to be there with us. And these aren't, we don't, I don't think we know of Mary, the wife of Cleopas, aside from this moment. But we do know of Mary Magdalene, and she's like a, one of the key figures in our Gospels of one of, these, one of the things I read about her was that she is mentioned more times in the Gospels than most of the disciples are. <laughs> That's significant, right? She had a significant role in the Gospels just because of what Jesus did for her. She, is, she had seven devils in her and Jesus cast them out and she loved him for it. And she became one of his followers. One of the dis, um, Gospels describes a bunch of the women and Mary Magdalene, one of them, as being among the followers of Jesus and being the financial supporters of his, of his ministry. They, and we don't know much about her, her personal life, but the implication is that she may have actually been a person of some wealth to have been able to have the ability to be a financial supporter of Jesus' ministry. And so we just see these are the people that gather around and are there together. And we just see that she certainly has a connection with Jesus' mother. And so it's the, the friends and family gather around together. And this other woman, it's a family. Um, we see, it says Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas. And I have a question, is where's Mary's other sons? <laughs> Why, where are her children? Why aren't they gathered around her there for her support? Um, if you grew up Catholic, maybe you think she doesn't have other children, but um, she certainly does. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, if you want to just follow me there. Matthew 12, verse 46. It says, While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one, of, one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. And he answered and said unto him, sorry, unto him that told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Now that's the end of that story. 
he makes this statement. It's like, believers in Christ become a family. They become part of God's family. And we, we can study that and look into, like, we get that adoption into Christ. We become brothers and sisters of Jesus. And we gain that inheritance that belongs to him. But he makes the point here. But do you think he actually didn't go out and see his mother? <laughs> like he just, he makes this comment to the crowd, but I have a feeling he did actually go and see what they wanted. But the point is, is that he has brothers. He has actual physical flesh of his, like his mother had more sons. And so he has brothers. Um, John chapter 7 see more about that first first few verses here says after these things Jesus walked in Galilee for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him now the Jews feast of tabernacles was at hand his brethren therefore said unto him depart hence and go into Judea that thy disciples may see the works that thou doest for there is no man that doeth anything in secret and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do this, these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Now, I think this reveals why his brothers aren't there at the cross with his mother, is... They didn't believe in him. They resented. Can you imagine having Jesus as your older brother? Like, I have two older brothers. I know what it's like to have old. I can't imagine an older brother that could do no wrong, literally. <laughs> Why can't you be more like Jesus? <laughs> right? Imagine how many times they heard that. <laughs> but I'm sure growing up in that house, like, they resented him. In many ways. And as an adult. We see. We don't see any sign of. Joseph. In Jesus adult ministry. There is never a mention of Joseph anymore. So the assumption is that he passed away. Somewhere during Jesus childhood. Um, one of the gospels. When, I don't know if we're going to read it in one of these passages, but maybe. <laughs> but one of the Gospels describes, or the people questioning Jesus describe him as a carpenter. So Jesus actually did pick up the trade of his father. But imagine this, up until this point in his life, he turns 30 and all of a sudden he walks away from the family business and he's wandering all over the countryside with these people following him around, and he's just teaching and preaching and he's ne neglecting his responsibilities, right? Is what his brothers probably thought of him. And he's not well respected in his home community because they knew him, they grew up with him. They didn't have that same respect. And we see that through the different gospels 
when he's interacting with that area. But his brothers didn't believe in him as the Messiah. And so they weren't there with his mother at his crucifixion. Just look at one more passage here, Mark chapter 6. Mark 6, um, again, starting in verse 1, it says, And he went out from thence and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? This is the verse that I'm referring to. It says, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So we see Jesus had numerous brothers and sisters, plural. So he's got at least two sisters. Mary had a bunch of children. <laughs> she didn't, wasn't a perpetual virgin. Um, Jesus has family at home. And yet, that family, that immediate family, are not the ones that are with Mary as she's coming to the cross to witness the last moments of her son's life. And so we just see this problem with this family. But Mary is there. Mary, if you remember, early on, when, when Jesus was born, all these people showed up. <laughs> All these people were worshiping this newborn baby. And the Bible says, Mary pondered these things in her heart. It's like, she, she was the one that got visited by the angels, and she knows that this is a miraculous birth. And yet, somehow, this was still a difficult thing for her to grasp <laughs> of who this child was. And so, she pondered these things in her heart, but it looks like as time went on, she was around during his ministry and was one of the followers of those that went around with him. So, and then if we, we kind of, I just mentioned Mary Magdalene a little bit, but if we just look at Luke chapter 8, we see the circumstance with her. Luke 8, and this is again the first couple of verses, and it says, And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto him in their subs of their substance. And so again, this is where we see Mary Magdalene is one of the followers, and because she had, he had cast out seven devils out of her, and they minister unto him of their substance. They're supporting his ministry. And so we see this is the, this is the group of women that gather around 
in those final moments. Mary Magdalene, it's very clear that it is Mary Magdalene that comes to Jesus' tomb to anoint the body on after the Sabbath, on Sunday morning. And it says the, the other Mar- and the other Mary. There's like a whole bunch of other Marys in the Bible. <laughs> right? So which other Mary are we talking about? Um, I, I looked through it, and I don't think you can be certain. Um, the Catholics are very adamant that this isn't Mary, mother, the mother of Jesus, because if it was, then you have to admit that she had other children. <laughs> because the, the connection that we see is the names of whose, whose mother she is and whose mother that was is the same names of the children. <laughs> and so it's probably Mary, Jesus' mother, who was also at the tomb with Mary Magdalene. But I wouldn't say 100% on that because it, it's not absolutely clear in the scripture. But so as we, so this is Mary, and this is just looking at her perspective of mourning the death of her son and having that support group around her, these other women and friends and family, and how important that is to us when we're facing those kinds of circumstances. But then we turn to Jesus and picturing him on that cross, in that agony, and the things that he's thinking of at this point. Uh, Verse 26 in John 19, again it says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, I always love how John refers to identify himself. (laughs) But the way he describes his relationship with Jesus is like that disciple whom he loved. They had a close relationship. These were, if, if Jesus had a best friend, John is Jesus' best friend, right? This is that close relationship that they were just together all the time. They were close. They had those intimate times together, those conversations apart from all the others, right? This is who is there. And he's standing, I don't know if he's right with the women or maybe slightly separate, but he's the only disciple of the 12, 11, who's standing right in front of the cross, right? He's the only one that gets named as being present right there. And so Jesus looks down in verse 26. Again, it says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And he's not thinking of... I, I, I can't help but picture pointing. And it's like, he can't point. He's like, <laughs> behold your son? Somehow he's indicating that this, he's looking at him and he's speaking to his mother like, this is now your son. He's going to take my place. And in verse 27, it says, Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her 
unto his own home. And so Jesus first points to Mary and says, look, this is now your son. And to John, this is now your mother. And look, even at, in his dying moment, Jesus is concerned about his mother. Which is why when we look at that verse where his mother and brethren come and he says, well, who is my mother and who is my brethren? These are my brother and mother. I'm certain he went out to see his mother. Because you look at how, care, like how caring he is about his mother at this moment. I don't think he was disrespecting her in that moment. He was just making a different point and then went and was respectful to his mother afterwards, although that's not recorded at all. So Jesus has concern for his mother, even as he's suffering the most agonizing death you can suffer, he's still concerned about the well-being of his mother. We think, if you, if you think historically, and even through scripture, and we could, we could search through and see different aspects of it, but I don't want to take that much time this morning. But we see throughout Scripture, and just in history, it's the firstborn son that was responsible to take care of the family if something happened to the father. So Jesus, being the firstborn son, was actually responsible for the well-being of his mother. It's interesting to me so that is, it's, he's got this responsibility. This is his job to take care of her. But it's interesting that he's not passing that responsibility on to his next brother. Right? He's taking somebody that's not even a part of the family with John. And he's passing that responsibility for his mother on to John. This is his, his true brother, right? <laughs> this, is, this is the brother that I trust with the care of my mother. And so she, he gives that responsibility. He says, Mary, this is now your son, and John, this is now your mother. Take care of her the way I am supposed to take care of her is basically what he's saying. And I think it's important that we realize that Jesus is fulfilling the law in doing that. And we know of the Ten Commandments, um, one of the, the fourth commandments is like, honor thy father and thy mother. So we can't have Jesus being, not fulfilling his responsibilities to his mother because that would be a sin because he would be disobeying the actual Ten Commandments. So Jesus can't be dishonoring towards his actual mother. Otherwise, he would be sinning. So he's fulfilling the law by doing this, at this moment on the cross, he's still proving that he is actually there to fulfill the law. And if we look back in Mark chapter 7, we see Jesus disputing with the Jews over that exact issue. So Mark chapter 7, um, starting in verse 6, it says, Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, 
Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldst enter under my roof. I'm in the wrong book, right? I'm in Loke. It's like, wait a second. Mark chapter 7. Try again. Verse 6. And he answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And he said, and he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And you suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother. So in other words, if, if my mother or my father passes away and, I've got a, and I'm the oldest son and I've got this widowed mother to take care of, but I say, well, my money's been promised elsewhere, and I can't afford to take care of her. The Jewish made a rule that now you're excused from actually fulfilling your responsibilities towards your mother. The law said if you don't do it, you ought to be stoned to death. <laughs> but they made a, a way around it that I can, I can, I'm, I'm committing this money towards the church. It's going to be a donation towards the church when I die, so therefore it can't be used to take care of my mother. That's the kind of thing that it's saying, is that they found a workaround so they didn't have to deal with family stuff. <laughs> and yet, when it came to the washing of the pots and the pans and all the other nitpicking rules that they made up that had nothing to do with the law that the Bible gave, they, they held people accountable to that and like you couldn't be a part of the synagogue if you broke any of those rules. They're just completely contradictory in, in their stance on various things. But Jesus makes the point, and he brings out this point of honoring your father and your mother. So when Jesus makes a big deal out of a particular law, it would be kind of shocking that he doesn't fulfill that law himself, right? If he's neglectful to his own mother, it just wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't add up. And so this circumstance while he's on the cross looking down at his mother making sure that she is taken care of in her old age or in in her widowhood jesus ensured that the most trustworthy person he knows is the one that i'm going to give the responsibility to and it's also interesting if you think about it as far as historically we know all of the other disciples were killed and martyred for their faith at a relatively early stage in their ministries. John lived to be an old man, although imprisoned and different things happened, but I 
Jesus may have picked him with foreknowledge of <laughs> he's going to be there long enough to take care of her for as long as she needs. And we see that Jesus, or that John did do that. Um, scripture doesn't mention it beyond this point, but it does say, it says, from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. It just, he did it. He took care of her from that time on. I just want to look, there's just a couple of verses, one in Isaiah chapter 51. Just in regards to Jesus turning to John, saying, behold your mother. So Isaiah 51 verse 18 says, there is none to guide her among all the sons whom he, she hath brought forth, neither is there any that taketh her by the hand of all the sons that she hath brought up. And that's, this, that's the circumstance that we have with Mary at this moment. She has other sons, but none of them are there to take care of her. So Jesus has to choose somebody else that wasn't one of the sons that she brought up. And then again in Proverbs Chapter 23, verse 22, says, Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. And so this is just the wisdom of Solomon, but this is our, our instruction from Scripture in regard to how we care for our, our mothers and just again despise not thy mother when she is old and Jesus ensures that he takes care of his mother as she grows old mothers have <laughs> such a key role in their child's lives it's typically our world has changed a lot lately but I think even still today, in a typical home, it's the mother that spends the most time with the children of anybody, especially during those early developmental years. Some, in some cases, it's the babysitter, but <laughs> it, it should be the mother. But if you think about that, that if whoever spends the most time in those early years of a child's life is the one that has the most influence over who that child becomes. The character development of that child is almost entirely dependent on the mother. If you're a mother, you have a big responsibility, especially if your children are little, little. It's, you need to make sure that you're raising them you're teaching them the things that they need to know in life, the, the way that they ought to behave in life, and most importantly, learning who God is, who Jesus is, the gospel message. Understanding, if you don't teach your kids that they're <coughs> sinners, if you, if you constantly teach your kids that they're the most wonderful thing in the world, 
and that they can do no wrong, and you're just always praising them, and you're afraid to hurt their feelings by telling them that they've done wrong, <laughs> that they're a sinner, that they deserve punishment for doing wrong, you're not doing that child any favors. You're setting that child up to go to hell for eternity because they can't comprehend a God who judges sin. <laughs> we, we as parents are given that responsibility to be the ones who train our children that there's judgment over wrongdoing. And so as mothers, you have a job to do is to train your children in those things, to teach them the difference between right and wrong and that there is a consequence for doing wrong. If you're not a mother, chances are you have a mother. Whether, you know, like mine, mine is, she passed away when Darren was one years old. But I can still honor my mother in the way that I speak of her, in the way that I remember her. We don't all have perfect mothers. <laughs> Some of us had very imperfect mothers. Or mother, some of us maybe didn't have a mother that we knew growing up. But you can still obey God in honoring, being grateful that that person brought you into this world, gave you the opportunity to exist, to grow, and become who you are today. So even if today is a Hallmark holiday, um, there is a strong biblical basis for us honoring our mothers. And so it is a, certainly a right thing to do. And even setting aside a day in the year where we take special note of our mothers, remembering our mothers and honoring them. Some of us don't have that opportunity to continue to do that personally. But I'm sure there's some of you that maybe haven't done that in a long time that need to honor your mother. And if you still have that opportunity, this would be a good time to start. Anyway, let's pray. Our Lord, we just want to, again, we thank you for the example that Jesus was throughout his ministry and even as he's suffering, the most agonizing death that the Romans could come up with torturing a person with. He sits there, hanging there in agony, and yet concerned about the well-being of his mother. And so, Lord, we just uh, take that example that he has given, and Lord, I just pray that we would be able to, in some way, apply this to our lives, and to see how we ought to behave and obey the scripture in regards to these kinds of things, Lord. So again, we just trust you with this and we just ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.